Dr. Nicole King-Smith is Founder and Chief Learning Officer of NK Enterprise Consulting. This trailblazing servant leader is a distinguished scholar and a certified workplace culture expert. She advises Fortune 500 businesses with innovative solutions that bridge generational gaps. As an expert in her field, education is one of the many driving forces of her success. She was the first to successfully develop Kaiser University's Associates of Arts Hospitality Curriculum, expanding it to four campuses throughout the state of Florida within three years. With over 20 years of hospitality experience, Nicole's passion for customer service is just one of the many things that drives her success. She is highly committed to developing professionals, mentoring, creating relationships, and partnerships. As she continues to be a leader in the community, her expertise and passion is contagious in her speaking and training engagements, academic teachings, and publications. Dr. King-Smith earned a bachelor's in business administration from Florida A&M University, MBA in hospitality and tourism management from Strayer University, and her PhD in organizational management from Capella University. Hi, Nicole. Hi, Tessa. How are you? It's so good to talk to you today. I'm great. I am really excited to talk to you about talent today. That is one of my topics that I really love discussing. Yeah, so I think it's so interesting that you are a workplace culture expert. Can you tell us a little bit about what that what that means? Absolutely. So what I do is I work with organizations on different areas of equity when it comes to the generations. And I'm actually a certified culture consultant where we go in through culture talk and we actually go in and set up that foundation and look at the different archetypes and we build on that because one thing that we know is when you're looking at any organization, whether it be public sector or private, the culture really encompasses what's really important internally as a motivating factor, but also for your investors and your stakeholders externally. Wow, that is an enormous topic, I think. And especially right now in the context that we're in, it's so relevant. I, I, I know I've heard from so many um, employers and also employees who have been talking about culture now more than ever, given the, the context um, with the George Floyd murder and all of the companies and organizations that are coming out with statements or not coming out with statements about uh, their stance on racism. Not to mention, um, you know, LGBTQ rights. And then, uh, you know, one of the big topics that we've talked about in Future Makers is this, um, the, the shift in generations. And I know that that's something that you're, you're very, very familiar with. Um, you know, we're both here in Southwest Florida, and uh, we, we tend to have a lot of older population, but we also have a lot of young people coming up. So what are you... What are you seeing in terms, we'll start with generations, what are you seeing in terms of how um, organizations are, are adapting um, with the major shift uh, in, in our workforce? Well, I think one of the things, and Tessa, I just have to say you touched on one of my passion topics. Generation is, is definitely uh, one of my very passionate things to 
look at research study and really keep an eye on what's going on. And so what you're seeing is you're seeing two large generations, the baby boomers and then the millennials, Generation Y. You're seeing the baby boomers, there's two waves of that generation and they're starting to transition out and retire. But then you see this second wave of millennials, which also has two waves that are coming into the workplace. And now you also have Generation Z. And what you're learning is how organizations are trying to pivot and get ready to not only attract, um, but also how do you retain and succession plan? Because what the workforce looked like 20, 30 years ago is not the same as what it looks like today, meaning technology has played such a major role in how we communicate and our processes and our procedures that the next generation coming in is like, well, why do we have to do things this way? Like, even in the school system, I've learned to do things differently, or it doesn't look like the way I need to need it to look or what I'm familiar with. And that's where the culture piece comes in because a lot of times we look at processes and procedures when it comes to recruiting and think, okay, then that means we just have to attract the next generation through using technology. But once you get the next generation in your workplace, it's about culture. What is your work-life balance looks like? Uh, are you committed to community organizations? Because the next generation is very intentional about working at places that give back to personal um, community foundations or different uh, sustainable development goals. So all of those things play a play. Do you put, uh, you know, how does your work-life balance look like? How does it feel? How do you get paid? How often do you give feedback? All of those things are really important, and that's where the culture piece comes in when it comes to attracting the different generations. Yeah, that that makes a ton of sense. And, you know, I I definitely, you know, <clears throat> working in sustainability myself, I've, I've known for a long time that, uh, that having a sort of a social impact model within an organization or corporate social responsibility is really important. And I do think, I think technology is, is a really interesting thing too, because the world changes so quickly. And if it's not something that your company or your organization has really looked at as a way to not only attract, but to retain employees as the, as time goes by and generations change, I think it can be really overwhelming. So what are some of the top things that you see that uh, an employer company can change to, with regard to technology specifically, um, that might be useful, just some of the things that you see that, that tend to come up as issues? Well, one of the biggest challenges that organizations are really having is, like I said, that first wave and second wave of baby boomers are transitioning out and they have that knowledge. How do you transfer that information down to uh, the new people that are transitioning into the workplace? And so having some type of mentoring program or some type of program where you can connect and where technology comes in and what we've learned, especially recently in the last couple months, is you can use technology to communicate, to transfer information, to build rapport, 
you don't have to physically be in front of someone or physically be at meetings. There's ways to really use technology as a way to connect people and get people to build that rapport that's needed so they can transfer that information before those people that are retiring transition out. Um, not only that, another thing uh, that technology plays a role in is we've also seen being able to work from home or being able to be flexible. And studies actually show that people that do have the ability to work from home actually have a higher productivity than people that are in the office. So being comfortable and having those policies in place and also understanding too that allowing for someone, maybe someone doesn't have kids, um, but maybe they do want to do a health and wellness routine before they come into work. Is it okay for them to have flexible hours to be able to do that? And some organizations also, especially in high retail um, businesses, what they've been able to do is use apps for people to check in, um, clock in, clock out, but also swap schedules. So as long as they can swap schedules and get their shift covered, like particularly in the hospitality and tourism industry, then they have mechanisms to be able to use technology to do that. So, the, so it's not always falling on the manager to be able to have to deal with those uh, challenges that they may have when it comes to trying to schedule people and get people um, placed where they need to be placed. That is that's so interesting because I I can I can tell you we Future Makers just did an HR poll um, in May and June of HR professionals and one of the things that came up and I'm I'm guessing this this is a, this is a cultural issue and potentially generational as well was this idea of trusting your employees while they're working from home and so I just think that you know, this is an ongoing issue. <laughs> I think it's really grown into maybe one of the biggest issues, but it's interesting how technology can solve a lot of that. But also we can take some level of personal responsibility. And I know um, for myself as a manager, I've always said, you know, it's important that everybody own the work. And, and you're really taking that down to, you know, retail positions even. It's such an interesting concept. Absolutely. So you mentioned hospitality, and I know that this is an, an area of expertise for you, though you work across all industries. And I'm, I'm really curious to kind of take the pulse on hospitality from your perspective, given, you know, we live in Florida, and it's a high, high level of hospitality in terms of the number of jobs that are available. And one of our most prominent industries the world is a challenging place right now. This is typically a fairly slow time for hospitality in Florida just because it's hot and it's hurricane season. But I'm curious, sort of, what are you seeing on the hospitality front? Um, well, I'm seeing a lot of things. Uh, what you're seeing now is a lot of businesses are trying to uh, come back online, if you will, um, post-COVID in, or in this area and they're not able to hire back uh, all of their employees so a lot of them are hiring at maybe even 50 percent which means there's a lot of our workforce right now that is being challenged with finding jobs finding opportunities 
because not only are they not able to hire back, but right now the travel and tourism market has also uh, had its own challenges with people not being able to fly or right now what you're seeing is what they like to call drive markets where a lot of people, if they can drive to that location or destination, that's how they're planning versus, you know, flying. So with that being said, and then also meetings and things have definitely uh, been challenged as well as we have been forced to pivot to a more virtual platform to be able to execute. Like con conventions and yeah. Absolutely. So when you look at uh, the challenges that the hospitality and tourism um, definitely has been going through for the last couple of months, you have a huge workforce right now that is really looking at how how can they get back into the workforce? Are their skills transferable? Um, if they are transferable, what industry uh, can they transfer to? Because the hospitality and tourism industry is very unique in its own way. Um, so you see a lot of people right now being challenged into how how what are what's my what what's my what's next? Like what does it look like? From a business standpoint, how do I hire and retain? And then even them being limited, but then also the people that can't get hired back right now, you know, what is my what's next? What can I do because I have to be able to provide for my family? Yes, and this is one of the things that I love about you and your expertise is that you you are able to work on these issues from an employer standpoint, but also from an individual standpoint. I know you've done a lot of work with individuals and in, in trying to help them um, become more marketable in their skills and be more successful in their career paths. And so, you know, just from, from your vantage point and your experience, if you are somebody right now out there who is um, out of work, uh, because uh, they were in the hospitality industry, um, what would what would your advice be to them? Well, first, understanding how your skill set is very much transferable. I mean, one thing that we definitely know about the hospitality and tourism industry that it's all about that customer service branding experience, and the people are your product in the hospitality and tourism industry, and a lot of professionals in that industry you just naturally know how to build rapport and build relationships. And so just understanding how you can monopolize on that and transfer it into other industries. There's a lot of businesses and corporations where they're in dire need of customer service professionals. They understand it, they get it, they understand the importance of it. And that's where a lot of hospitality professionals can apply for jobs and opportunities that are with companies that are really needing right now people that understand that level of customer service. Another thing is understanding that the hospitality and tourism is an industry. So you have marketing professionals, you have accounting professionals, you have real estate professionals, you have revenue managers. Not only do you have your frontline people that serve the industry, but you also have your middle managers, your senior managers. All of those skills are also transferable into other industries as well. So if you have to transition, um, you also have engineers, all the hotels and restaurants, they have people that are HVAC professionals and engineer professionals that are responsible for doing those things. So those skill sets are definitely transferable. Right now, 
um, I constantly hear that because a lot of those technical skills have been essential workers, they can't keep people right now. They're like, we desperately need people in our industries with more people working from home. A lot of those technical skills have been in demand. So again, just understanding what your skill sets are and understanding that your skill sets are transferable into other industries. And there are companies and there are businesses right now that are hiring that need those skills but just because they're not necessarily in the hospitality and tourism industry doesn't mean that you can't take a temporary pivot um, to be able to get yourself back into the workforce. Yeah, so I think I, I want to mention the last point that you made, which was pivot, right? So uh, what are you thinking is going to happen with hospitality in the future? Do you have any predictions? Well, one thing that I do know about the hospitality and tourism, and I always say happy hospitality because hospitality and tourism is definitely going to bounce back and it's going to be stronger. It's a resilient industry. I mean, when you look at what brings people joy and happiness, they love to travel. They love to go out and eat. They love to plan events. They love to go to events. They So right now, people are wanting uh, a piece of hospitality and tourism somewhere in their life. And they may have even adjusted of how they take vacations, but people are still wanting to travel. They're wanting to do those things. We're just learning how to do them more safely and a little bit differently. But the industry is definitely going to bounce back um, once we, you know, get over this, this challenge with covid it, people are waiting. They're just kind of on the sidelines, like, okay, give us the green light. Like, we're we're ready to go. We're ready to get back out there. And even locally in our community, how you've seen the breweries um, and different, uh, different venues and stuff in our local community just come up with creative ways to be safe, but also to allow um, our local uh people that live here and then even our tourists that come here locally, an opportunity to still experience hospitality in some way, but in, in a different way. Yeah, I think a lot of people are experiencing hospitality in their hometowns, right? So where normally you would head out somewhere else, um, I think we're all sort of taking advantage of the the new hospitality, the way things have sort of adapted, but here in your in your hometown, which is really fun and cool. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize, like, when you take the time to be a tourist in your own neighborhood, like, all the different things that you can do and experience, and sometimes we overlook what's to, what's right in front of us. So a lot of people I've noticed on Facebook and different social media platforms have been able to take advantage of, you know, like I said, driving to different places and really experiencing things that are fun and new and different. Even me and my husband, we've done that. We've driven to now different places and like, oh, we didn't even know that this was here and just, you know, making the best of it. Yeah, yeah. And and so I think that that is, and I think that's important, right? We have to take care of ourselves. We're under a lot of stress right now, whether you're looking for a job or you're an employer trying to figure out how to make this work um, or you're just trying to, adapt to a new way of doing the job you already had self-care is extremely important because that's we all have to stay well so that we can continue um, to to meet our needs and also live a full and happy life absolutely 
Um, so I, I wonder, you know, you and I have a special relationship because you're my friend, which I'm so thankful for, but we have grown together over a very special piece of work. Um, with the Future Makers Coalition, and that has been the conversations on structural racism and implicit bias. And so I wanted to just take a minute and ask you, uh, you want to give a, a brief overview of what those are, of what that, what that, um, what that, those conversations are? Um, well, the conversations that we definitely talk about on our equity action team and when we do the structural racism and the implicit bias conversation, we really dive into um, looking at the talent and the workforce and understanding what that looks like and how diverse it is. And then we take a look at the systems and see if our systems in our local community are going to be able to support the demand of what our workforce is gonna look like because um, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but I think 60% of the workforce is going to require um, for jobs, it's going to require someone to have either a degree or professional certificate. And what does that look like? And what is the demographics of that look like? And how do we serve them? And are we setting them up for success or are we setting them up for failure within Southwest Florida? And so we, we realize that when we start diving into the statistics and the data, even though we're increasing our overall goal, when you start breaking down that data and you start looking at it in a more micro um, lens, if you will, you realize that there's, there's some gaps and there's some inequalities and there's some inequalities in the resources that are available. And there's also some inequalities in how we're able to serve those particular demographic of individuals. And part of it is through our own implicit biases and let's just be honest, social injustice and racism and systemic racism. So how do we recognize it? How do we become self-aware? How do we overcome and how do we take actions to move forward together and collaborate as a community so we can have a more equitable and equality for for all, especially knowing that the talent in the workforce is going to have this demand. That's that's going to be there. That's not you know that's not anything that we can control. Yeah. So you know we were already um, doing this prior to the the recent um, significant increase in social justice protests and um, and companies and, and individuals speaking out and and all of the the unrest and 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 sort of upheaval that has to that hopefully leads to something something changing many things changing to promote more equity in our communities and in our country and I think um, it's been a really a really really important experience to be able to do this with you. We, we, we do the conversations in partnership um, with a person who has more white privilege and a person of color. And it's just been so amazing to get to know you through this lens. Um, I want though to ask you, when you think about what we talk about and you think about your, your, um, your role as a workplace culture expert, what are you sort of seeing on the front, you know, given the very current context in terms of 
racial and ethnic equity in the workplace? So that's a great question. And yeah, it's definitely been a pleasure uh, having this opportunity to be able to do this with you and with Future Makers because it's one thing to talk about it. It's another to help facilitate the conversation. And then it's another to live it every day. So when you're seeing it from so many different components, I think that's why I'm so passionate and really focusing on helping not only just the generational gaps, but also understanding the culture because what we're seeing and what we're finding and what we know is from an organizational standpoint, again, technology has now created this platform for people to be able to see things and have access to information that maybe they normally we wouldn't have access to. And it's a lot in real time. So again, when people are flipping out their phones and they're recording right there on the spot and then they're putting on major social media platforms for people to see it, you're seeing it as, as it is. And you're able to see it from a different lens. Now, from an organizational standpoint, what I'm seeing is organizations are really being intentional. And I think that's something we need to notice and recognize that when they're giving out statements, they're, they're not being just holding statements. They're being intentional, meaning they're holding everyone accountable from the bottom all the way to the top, saying that this is the culture, this is the organization, this is what we want to be known for, and we have to have a conversation around this. We have to talk about it. We have to not only talk the talk, but walk the walk. And a lot of organizations internally are really seeking guidance on how to make that happen and how do we make sure that that can happen. Then on an external front, what you're seeing is a lot of the professional associations that support various industries. So I'll just use hospitality and tourism, for example. You have the Black Travel Tourism um, the CEO of that is trying to make sure that she educates in the hospitality and tourism industry. What does that look like? You know, and then talking from a talent standpoint, you have the National Society of Minority Hospitality Students. And, you know, again, how can you hire, hire these uh, different minorities into the workplace and promote them? And then you also have different professional associations uh, major ones that are having the conversation and what does it look like in our industry and what can we do to serve our partners and what resources do you need? What do those resources look like? And not all falling on minorities to be able to educate. Like People are literally coming together and saying, you know, we need to see it from a different lens. We need to be able to put some action behind it. Money, from an economic standpoint, now you see a lot of businesses um, now supporting from a minority supplier network. Like, okay, we want to be intentional. We want to make sure that we're hiring a certain demographic of minority suppliers to be able to serve our organization. So, again, people are being very intentional right now. Um, they're being very aware of what they're doing and how they're doing it. And so this movement has really opened a lot of people's eyes to say, okay, let me take a step back and see what my role is, what my part is, and how can I do my part, and how can we work together to make it better? 
Yeah, it's a it's a difficult and and amazing time to be living, and I really have seen a lot of things happen that I never I never would have thought. I also hear a lot of businesses, though, you know, different size businesses, not being sure what to do. And it sounds like maybe one resource are their professional associations. Um, but I'm really curious, if you were consulting with a business that came to you and said, look, we've never really done anything on equity ever. I don't feel comfortable putting out a statement. Um, I don't know what to do. Where should I start? What advice would you give them? Those are great questions, and because every every organization is different, um, I would say the first place, honestly, you have to start is with your management team and really having a conversation. And I think that's what makes um, that's what makes what we do on the equity action team through Future Makers so successful because. Before you start bringing in an expert, you really have to sit down and really have the conversation around it and make sure that you're having the conversation from an authentic place um, and that you're able to build the trust and rapport that you need with each other to say, okay, if someone feels like something's not working, that it's not, that conversation is not going to create a hostile work environment, that it's going to create an opportunity to say, okay, I didn't realize that before. Now let me let me see what we can do. And it's really important, you said this earlier, we make sure that when we are even facilitating our conversation, that everyone is sitting at the table. That it's not just you have to bring everybody. So you have to bring people of color to the table. You can't you can't have the conversation with everybody of just one race. Then you're not you're not gonna be able to see it from a different lens. You really have to have people at the table that are representing that culture so they can give you some insight and help you understand what it looks like or what it could look like. And then you start from there. You can also bring in an expert. Um, some organizations, like you said, they're not comfortable. They're not comfortable having the conversation. They don't know where to begin. So then that's when you can bring in an expert to help facilitate the conversation. And that is why, um, even when I got my certification through Culture Talk, that's what it does. It allows you to have a foundation to build on that relationship and through the archetypes because you, you have to understand that you have to do it with compassion and you have to start with self. Everything that when you start talking about equity and social injustice, it has to start with self and you and then you build on outside of that to you know, then how do you deal with each other? And then how do you deal with it as a whole with the organization and the community? So again, you have to listen to each other first and then you have to move past that and you have to have different ways to be able to do that. Yeah, I think it's creating that foundation of trust because Absolutely. inevitably people will mess up. And uh, especially when you when you have more open conversations, you're, you're going to be more aware of when you mess up. And it's how do you maintain a culture of trust and understanding, but also one that is changing the behavior and the way that we understand the world around us and the people that we work with and the people that we serve in whatever 
whatever, you know, industry we're in. It's a, it's a challenge. I, I mean, I can understand, you know, especially with COVID and all the things that employers are going through right now, I bet a lot of them are just like, boy, I, I can't believe we have to deal with this too. And I bet that sometimes the easiest thing or what feels to be the easiest thing would be to just avoid it. But I'm curious, you know, I, I, I know a lot of the conversations that we've led together through future makers rely pretty heavily on lived experience and um, just in your role and the organizations that you've worked with, have you gotten a sense of what it's like to be the minority in an organization that maybe isn't acknowledging these issues? Um, well, I mean, it's more, I would say up until like this point, I mean, I think right now because of everything that's going on, it's so, it's everywhere you look, everywhere you turn, you know, it's constantly information around it, resources around it, everyone's talking about it. It is the right now. And so, yes, there are some organizations that are definitely uncomfortable with talking about it and addressing it. Um, and when you have those organizations that are really uh, resistant, you can't, I mean, it's hard to say because you can't force something. Like if it's not coming from an authentic place, then it's not going to work. If you're not really, if you're just trying to, I mean, of course there's, there's videos, diversity videos that you can show your team. Um, you know, you can have conversations around it, like just enough to say that we had a conversation around it. You can do certain trainings. But if you're really talking about making a change and making sure that your culture really is intentional about being inclusive, because I think people focus so much on the word diversity and not really the inclusive piece of it. And the goal is people want to feel valued. People want to, they want to feel respected. And like you said, trust. And in order to have trust, you have to have transparency. So people know when you're being authentic and when you're just giving lip service. So if you're going to approach the conversation, if you're going to say to yourself, okay, let's really take a step back and look at our organization and see, you know, are we being as inclusive as we can? Are we valuing all of our employees and do they all feel valued, especially when you talk about um, inequality and equity you know, what does that look like, then you really have to take a step back and really be willing to have those hard conversations because it may not, a lot of times it's what you think you're doing versus what you're actually doing. And so when you start to have these conversations, you may think that you're doing certain things, but then when people are around the table, they're like, well, technically we're really not doing it the way we could be or should be. That's, that sometimes can be a challenge to, uh, to bring up and, and digress on those topics. But the good part is there's a lot of resources out there. I mean, you even have, when it comes, I talked about compassion, but you have the compassion mindset. So that's another tool out there that actually assesses compassion and making sure that you're assessing your organization to make sure that compassion is showing up at all different levels. I talked about the culture talk. You have that if you're trying to focus on the culture. And then there's several resources out there around diversity and inclusion and what it means to have an inclusive environment. And like I said, the professional associations are really 
trying to help navigate organizations with resources to help them and experts that can help them navigate. So there's a lot of resources out there. So if you're if you're uncomfortable, then you just have to find the right resource that's going to work for you. But there's something out there for everyone. So I will say that. Yeah, and I think that I think it's safe to say just because you and I have been doing it now for a little while, that it's going to be uncomfortable, right? I mean, you have to accept a certain level of discomfort because it's really looking at ourselves and our organization and our community in a way that that maybe we haven't before. Yeah, absolutely. Like you just, you just have to be intentional um, and you have to want it for the right reasons and you have to be willing to have those uncomfortable conversations in order to move forward. And they may feel uncomfortable, but every time we've facilitated our conversation, you know, once once we're done, the outcome is always so much greater. Like every time we facilitated, people have literally come together and there's been so much positive that happens as a as an outcome of that. So anytime you think that you know, the outcome is going to be negative. Every time we've surrounded ourselves around it, there's been a lot of positive that has come out of it. Yeah, absolutely. So given, um, given the current context and all of the things that are happening um, in the world right now, what would be your your biggest piece of advice, whether it's you know, all kind from an inclusion standpoint, generational, um, sexuality, uh, race, ethnicity, those sort of things. What would be your big piece of advice right now um, for folks that are listening? Wow, Tessa, that's a great question. Um, my biggest advice would say when you start talking about all those different areas, um, you know, you really have to listen to each other and listen with empathy. Listen with your heart instead of listening with judgment and understanding that it really is about humanity. And so really, it's really about human beings being human and connecting with one another And yes, we all have that power of choice. So we have the power to choose and to choose to want to get to know each other, want to get to to learn and understand each other for the greater good of of everything is so important. And especially in the in the workforce, you know, you don't necessarily you don't get to choose all the time who your coworkers are and who you get to work next to, but you do get to choose if you're if you're going to respect each other and if you're going to build that rapport and you're going to trust each other. And what we found is when you take those steps to build rapport and to have respect and to listen with each other from a place of compassion and understanding, it, it just, it brings out more positive things than it does negative things. Yeah. And I think that's, fantastic advice and I mean it's the simplest advice right it's we we always are looking for a complex solution when times get tough and and really going back to our humanity and kindness 
with the lens um, that we have right now, I think is really just the best advice. I think it's the best advice you could give. And I think that uh, right now is not the time to ignore it because I think that the outcome will be much worse, even though it might feel like we don't have time to deal with that. We don't have time to deal with our culture within our workplace. We need to just keep, you know, making widgets or keep doing whatever. Um, I, I, I think, I think that now is the time to absolutely continue to build culture. And if you haven't focused on that, now is the time to do it. Absolutely. Yeah. It's so important. I just want to, yeah, I just want to thank you so much. I think you have such a, a, a nice perspective of the world and such cool experience to share. I, I thank you for your time. Um, and hopefully we get to chat again soon. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this conversation. Thank you. Talk, talk to you soon. Okay.